Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. How do we find meaning, depth, and awakening during these troubled and turbulent times? What if our life challenges were just what we needed to help open our hearts and enliven our minds and ultimately help us heal our own souls and perhaps even greater humanity? On this episode, number one New York Times bestseller, philosopher, eloquent spiritual teacher, and frequent guest on Oprah's Super Soul Sundays, Mark Nepo joins us on The Spark to help answer these questions and much, much more. Learn how to elevate your life and actualize the gifts you already have inside of you. It's going to be an amazing and inspirational episode. I'm glad you joined us. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I've been listening to your book on Audible, so I already feel like I've had your voice in my ears for a long time, and it's so great to finally meet you. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show, and I hope everything is going well for you during these times. Yeah, thank you. No, you know, like everyone, we're dealing, and we can talk about it, but yeah, how are you doing? You know, I'm great. Being a psychotherapist, I am just able to see my clients online. And I, I thought about it, Mark, I, I would hang out alone all day besides my clients. And this is my therapy dog. Oh. So Jules came with me every day to work anyway. So now we just hang out here at home instead. Oh, that's great. So that's it's, so great. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Thank yeah, you. Just appreciate so many of the gifts that you bring oh, to this world. Thank you. One of the things that I am so struck with from learning a bit about you and and your story and your life, you know, everybody, especially through these times, has challenges and difficulties they're facing. And there's also so much power in sharing our own stories, the challenges that we've gone through and how we've transcended or how these things have helped change our lives or fortify us. I know that you've had an amazing story. Would you be willing to share some of that oh, with us? Of, of course. And, and let me also say, as, as I start to do that, give a context here that I, I do believe that the very act of expression is healing and right-sizing and medicine and connects us. And so the courage to just bear witness to the truth of our experience is part of the medicine. You know, my last book, Drinking from the River of Light, was all about the creative process, not about creating art, but just about the the healing journey of expression. And the other thing that I would offer as as I start to share my story is in the time that we're in right now, it has echoed my story and my story centers around I'm 69 and in my 30s, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And so much of emotionally, I've been feeling and I feel has been happening to all of humanity. And I imagine a lot of people who've gone through life-threatening situations may feel this, but it has echoed a lot of what I went through emotionally during that time. 
But, you know, back in my 30s, I was teaching at the University of Albany, and I felt fine, but I started to grow a very large tumor on my skull. And strangely, there were no, it wasn't painful, there were no symptoms, but clearly something wasn't right. And, you know, I went finally to a doctor and, and of course, was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma. And so the first thing that echoes to our time now in this pandemic is that, you know, after I was diagnosed, when I got up and left that office, the door I had come through for that appointment was gone. There was no life to return to that was known to me. It was gone. And I feel like for humanity, we are facing that. The, the door, the world as we knew it three months ago, four months ago, that's gone. It's gone. And we are in the new world and we don't know what that means. And so it engenders, as I'm sure you're encountering with your clients, for all of us, an array of emotions, a roller coaster of emotions, because there is grief. There is a lot of grief. And I actually feel as I look around, certainly, you know, we live in Michigan, but certainly all over the country, there are pockets of our society, I feel, that are stuck in different stages of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. We have pockets in denial. We have pockets in anger. We have pockets bartering. We have pockets depressed. But we're all challenged to help each other arrive through that initiation of grief into acceptance so we can see what is ahead. And so back to my story, you know, I went through a three-year journey in the heat of it where this tumor growing on my skull bone, which grew to the size of uh, half a grapefruit, it turned out to, to be, as I said, a rare form of lymphoma. And it, that tumor vanished in months. And that was a miracle. And I was like spit out of the mouth of the whale back into life. And within 10 months, that was so dramatic on my head that there was a sister tumor growing on a rib in my back. And then that started to appear. And there was no traditional miracle there, you know, and that was my low point of despair because I felt, did I not make good use of the miracle? Did I not make use of this second chance? And what would happen now? You know, the first time, because I was in my 30s, I was so afraid of what I was going through and what I would have to go through that I didn't get close to my fear of death. I was afraid of what am I going to have to go through here right now? But the second go around was when I really thought I might die. And, and not, you know, nothing that had worked before had worked this time and what was going to happen. And, and then I had, so I had to have that rib removed surgically and the adjacent muscles. And because I had this rare form of lymphoma, which I didn't have symptoms, you know, I was healthy other than the fact that I had all this. And, so I was a candidate for very aggressive chemotherapy. And so I began three months of, three and a half months of chemotherapy, which started to kill me. And so I finally came to a point where I had to stop the chemo. 
and have been, I always say, healing, not healed, healing ever since, and have been well. And so what I learned, there were several things that happened there. Of course, I was turned inside out and upside down, and through no wisdom on my part, was just in a deeper, more naked, more authentic place in my relation to life. So it's out of that journey that I became a student of all paths because I was blessed to have so many people from all traditions offer me some kind of blessing or help and blessed to still be here. I was not and still am not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And so I was challenged to believe in everything. And I have been all my teaching, all my books have a commitment to the unnameable common center of all paths, the unique gifts of each. And I like to uh, think over the years that it's the poet in me that sees. It's the philosopher in me that tries to understand what I have seen. But it's the cancer survivor in me that says, okay, how do we make use of this? Where does this fit in our daily lives? And that informs the way that I teach and guide and am in circle with others. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder for other people that are struggling, what, what is the gift in sharing our stories? As you share your story, there were several things that came to mind for me when you talked about being released from the mouth of the whale. What, yeah. flashed, what flashed in me is a dream that I had had a long, long time ago where I was literally swallowed by a killer whale and uh. taken through a lagoon to the other side and then released. And only when you were talking did I realize, oh, that was about being released from fear. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about fear for a moment because I feel that fear is the other virus right now. And of course, going through my cancer journey, going through really, and all being ill does is accentuate the normal range of what we all go through. And so it was such a roller coaster and fear has its proper place. Of course, it's to alert us to danger, legitimate danger. But we being human, we inflate and deflate our sense of ourselves and our sense of our situation all the time. So we're always challenged to right size our fear. And I know that every day, even right now, I've almost come to expect it and made it a practice. Something during the day, usually from what's happening out in the world, something will hook my fear. And so I, I, you know, it's like a sneeze or a shiver or a slight fever. It is something to be moved through. I've learned over time that fear is to be moved through, not obeyed. Yeah. Because when I ask my fear, what should I do? My fear says, be more afraid. What else? It doesn't know anything else. I need to ask my soul and my heart what to do. I need to acknowledge my fear and, and the power of expression. You know, when I was a boy and I grew up on Long Island in New York and I didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of nature. It was very kind of suburban, middle-class area and uh, lots of little houses. But we had what were called reservoirs, which was basically a part of a block that was blocked off for water source, but it just had grass in it and fence. And so all the kids would climb over and run in, the, in this little, you know, 
it wasn't a park, but to us it was a park. And I remember being eight or nine and I was transfixed by a butterfly. I had never gotten that close to a butterfly and something in me wanted to, to see it closely. So, you know, I was trying to catch it. And I finally like cupped it. And I didn't want to hurt it or anything. I just wanted to look at it. And, I, and for a minute I was like, oh, wow. And, but then I realized as long as I held it cupped in my hands, I couldn't see it. I had to let it go. And then as a little boy, I opened my hands. And there was this magnificent, colorful thing, light as air, and it flew away. And years later in my cancer journey, I remembered that I had forgotten about it for probably 30 years. And, and I realized my fear was like that butterfly. As long as I kept it cupped in my chest, it thumped loudly. But once I let it go, by owning it, by expressing it, by admitting it, it flew. It flew between me and others, and it was lighter, and it wasn't so heavy, and it didn't make so much noise. Yeah, that's it. I mean, as we hold on to that fear, it's as if it expands only within, like you said, that cupping. And so we're holding it within our chest. And I think that one of the challenges for all of us, especially in this time, but in ordinary time, is to admit the truth of what is. That, you know, the first, when feeling powerless, the, 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 the most powerful thing we can do is admit what is true. You know, often in my own life, I have not admitted I didn't want to be sad, so I didn't admit that I already was. Yeah. I didn't want things to change. I was afraid of change, so I didn't admit that they already had changed. And so in a lot of ways, our heart knows before us, and we play catch-up. So this is a poem called, If You Want a True Friend. If you want a true friend, just open your hands and say, I don't know. Say it softly and wait so your other can see that you mean it. Give them a chance to drop what they think is secret. Let them come up with a cup of what matters from the spring they show no one. Let them sigh and admit that they don't know either. Then you can begin with nothing in the way. Go on, admit to the throb you carry in your heart and let the journey begin. There's this wonderful piece that I'm hearing about as we first maybe admit it to ourselves and, and we own our inner experience and say, yes, I am feeling that, what the heart already knows. Mm-hmm. And then we can bring it outwards and share it with someone else. And that's truly what lightens that load. I think it works both ways. Like I can admit that and then bring it out, or bringing it out can help me admit it. And this is, you know, there's an ancient custom. I write about this in the Book of Awakening. It's an ancient custom in Africa between the African Bushmen, and it still goes on today. And so when one person of the tribe goes out in ancient times to hunt or gather, but now to whatever it might be, when that person is first seen returning to the tribe, the first person who sees them 
points and says, I see you. And the person having been seen goes, I am here. I see you. I am here. And that's a great wisdom in that simple ancient custom. And I think it's at the heart of all therapy that to bear witness to each other. And sometimes I need to say, I am here for you to say, oh yeah, I see you. And sometimes I need you to say, I see you for me to go, oh, that's right. I'm here. I love that dichotomy. That's exactly it. And, and as you were saying that, I think about in therapy, when a client does start just processing out loud their internal experience, and often it's those words then that makes it real and brings life to it, and only then can it be released. But I love this thing of bearing witness to one another. Well, and one of the things, we as human beings, we tend to take our experience and extrapolate it into a worldview. So if I am afraid, the world's a, a fearful place. If I am in pain, the world's a painful place. And we can honor our own experience, but when we do that and make the whole world what we're going through, we cut ourselves off from the resources that can heal us. Because when I'm afraid, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be afraid, but I need everything safe to heal. And when I'm in pain, I need the company of those who know what it is to be in pain, but I need everything not broken to heal. And this lesson came to me during my cancer journey. I had my first chemo treatment was horribly botched and it was done in New York City and I was in a holiday inn with loved ones and I got very sick. And it was only two weeks after my rib had been removed, so it wasn't fun. And thinking that, well, this can't go on, and every 20 minutes I'd get sick, and finally we did go to the emergency room. But before all that, I was exhausted on the floor of this room, and the sun started to come up, and I was afraid, and I was hurting. I didn't know where this was going. And because I was exhausted, I was open to what else was going on. And I imagined as the sun came up that somewhere Right now, a baby was being born. And somewhere, a couple was making love for the first time. And somewhere, a parent, an adult parent, and an adult child were speaking for the first time after years of not speaking. And so I realized that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And so this, you know, is very important. And even today, I listen to the news, and people are afraid, even the people who are giving the news. and and instead of just saying they're afraid, they turn it into a worldview. It's a doomsday scenario. And this is not helpful. They just have cameras on them. We could do that here, you know. But it's more important to admit our fear and to keep each other company in it. Because right now, we're also being asked to become intimate with the unknown. And we don't have a lot of practice at that. In fact, the modern world has trained us to think the unknown only brings catastrophe. Well, the unknown also brings wonder and joy and surprise and not just catastrophe. And so we're being asked to expand and reanimate our relationship to the unknown. It was Winston Churchill who said that planning is essential, but plans are useless. So we have to prepare ourselves. But when we make plans, we're really preparing ourselves inwardly. The plans don't matter because life is real and unpredictable. After all, I can't think of a person 
a friend or a, or a partner or I can't think of a person that I have been blessed to love or be loved by that I ever planned to meet. Yes, <laughs> yes, like the serendipity of how that happens. It's not that, yeah, we, we sit in and write that on our goal sheet. I'm going to meet Fred. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, this is Adrian from Feminist Hot Dog, and I want you to join me and my awesome guests as we put the fun in feminism. It's true. On Feminist Hot Dog, we explore all the ways feminism makes the world a better place, no matter who you are. So come hang out on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain on NoCo FM, and don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. See you on Wednesday. Your support means the world to us. Hi. It's Dr. Natalie Phillips from Connecting a Better World. Everything we do here at NOCO FM is member-supported. From the music we play to our original podcasts and live shows, all of that costs money to produce, and we can't do it without you. Become a member today and invest in the programming you enjoy so we can create more together. Learn more at noco.fm. So, Mark, how do we deal with our fear during these times? You know, we all experience suffering. So many of us avoid suffering at all costs. And even now in this situation, people are trying to distract themselves with all yeah. different kinds of things instead of dealing with the fear. Yeah, let's talk about fear a little bit. So let me share some things I've learned about fear and a, and a couple of stories that are helpful. So one is that, that, you know, during my cancer journey uh, as a poet, one of the poets I had studied and stumbled on uh, across time was the Chinese poet Tu Fu, who was in the Tang Dynasty in the 700s in China. And he was one of the people that I read as a college student who seemed so alive and real, like the first person I had wished I had met that had lived centuries ago. Like, if I could wonder if I could just talk to this guy, right? And he appeared to me during my cancer journey as a guide one or two times in dreams. And the one was around fear. As I said, I was terrified of everything at that point, you know? And, and so in this dream, he was sitting on a beach with a stick cross-legged, just moving the stick in the sand. And I went up to him and said, how do I block the fear? Well, he ignored me, which I got all irritated and angry. I got closer and said, how do I block the fear? And without looking at me, he raised the branch above his head. And he said, how does a tree block the wind? And with that, he disappeared. And I woke up. And of course, a tree doesn't block the wind. It lets it through. And that's the first deep lesson about fear. We can't block fear. We can't conquer fear. We have to let it through. We have to let it through. And that's been a great, great teaching to me. And so fear, I've learned, gets its power from not looking. What we don't look at gets bigger. All we have to do is think of the thing as a child. Someone tells you there's a boogeyman in the closet, and the more you don't look, the bigger it gets. And then when you open that closet 
and you look in there and it's at first very dark. And then if you stand and stare into the closet, it starts to lighten. Well, the darkness hasn't changed. The air quality hasn't changed. The light quality hasn't changed. Our eyes have grown accustomed to the dark. That is, our eyes have let more light in and we see it more for what it is. And so this is the second lesson about fears. We have to have the quiet courage to face our fear long enough that more light enters it and we see it as it is, not as forbidding, not removing it, not denying it, not running from it, but seeing it as it is. And fear also gets its power from the future and the past. The present, no matter how difficult or painful, is known. But in the future and the past, you know, that's what terror is. Terror is, oh, this is what, what I'm going through now. What if this is the way it will stay forever? What if I'll never get out of this? That's terror. And so fear is empowered by the future or the past. Oh, I've, I've had this terrible thing happen. What if it comes back? What if it happens again? And as difficult as things are, we can right-size fear by returning to the moment. So fear gets its power from not looking and from the future and the past and from holding on to it, not letting it go. So what does all that mean? That's why all the traditions have breathing practices. How do we let more in than our fear? We take it in. We take life in. We don't it's because we want our fear to live in us, not us in our fear. So one other story about fear, and this is, a, is about fear and pain. It's an ancient anonymous teaching story that's in, from India. And I love these stories because you know, before there were schools and programs and degrees, there were stories. You know, stories were the big way of educating through generations. And so this story, there's a master and an apprentice. There's always a master and an apprentice. And the apprentice is very annoying because all he does is complain, complain about life, complain about everything. So the master says to him, I want you to get a handful of salt and put it in a glass of water and come to me quietly. So the apprentice does this and the master says, Okay, drink from the glass. So the apprentice drinks and he spits the water out. And the master said, what's the matter? He says, it's bitter. Master said, I want you to get the same exact amount of salt in your hands and follow me quietly. So the apprentice gets the handful of salt in his cupped hands and he follows the master who leads him to a lake. The master says, put the salt in the lake, which he does. He says, now drink from the lake. So the apprentice kneels and he cups some water and he drinks it and it dribbles down his chin. And the master says, well, he says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice. He says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Stop being a glass, become a lake. So this ancient anonymous teaching story tells us about pain and fear. Everybody gets their handful of salt. No one is exempt. Some of us get it all at once. Some of us get it a grain at a time, but everyone gets their handful of salt. And when faced with pain or fear, we can't get rid of it. The only thing we can do is right-size it by enlarging our sense of things. Stop being a glass, become a lake. Now, 
you could listen, someone listening to us could say, well, okay, I, I won't ever be a glass again. Oh, yes, we will, because we're human. And that's also how pain and fear say hello. They're immediately adrenaline rush, and we tense up, we become a glass. So it's not about not doing that. It's about when we do do that, enlarging our sense of things. So the question is, what is in your personal toolbox? that when you're a glass, you can enlarge your sense of things and become a lake. Is it breathing? Is it listening quietly to your own heart? Is it talking to a dear loved one? Is it listening to a favorite piece of music that touches your heart? What is it looking at a picture of your mother or your father or a special person in your life or petting your dog? We have to put things in our toolbox that will help us enlarge our sense of things when we are gripped by fear and pain. And I can't tell you what those things are. We each have to populate and inhabit that toolbox ourselves. Thank you for that. I think that that is a lot of what I hear from my own clients that people are struggling with is the sense of being alone with their fear. For so many people, it's the first time they've really had to look inward or to be so alone with themselves. And so one of the underlying threads I'm hearing in that, Mark, is that when we get a sense of expansiveness and that we are not alone in our experience, when there's some connectiveness and we connect to the things that are bigger than ourselves, whether it's breathing, whether it's meditation, watching a beautiful sunset, then we can connect. Yes, because we are not just isolated and alone. When we feel like that, we're like pinballs in a pinball machine. We just duck holes and react. But we are connected to everything. And the reward for being authentic and living as fully and honestly and tenderly as possible is not just that we have moments of integrity, but that the reward for that is that we are joined with the rest of life. And that is the resource. The wholeness of life is the resource. So one of the images that you know I've had some people, not a lot, maybe say to me, my God, there's so much horrible things happening. I don't have time for an inner life. I don't have time for all that. And my feeling is, no, this is exactly when we need it more than ever. And the teacher for this is a large tree, like a redwood tree. Now, we all know that those trees, even those trees in hurricanes or tornadoes can come down, be uprooted. But 99% of the time, they survive storms. Why? Because they have deep roots and wide trunks. And that's why we need to tend an inner life. Not to have things figured out, but to deepen our roots and widen our trunks so we can survive the storm of what is happening. And the roots, when they deepen, they deepen into soil. And that's where when I am authentic, my roots deepen into everything, the world of spirit and of all life that is the soil that I am rooted in. So we are, by being who we are, we touch into all that we are not. And that kinship makes us healthy and strong.
This is such a great segue into talking about your book. Because I've told you, I've been listening to your book, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to What Matters. And in that book, one of the things you talk about is the gift of authenticity. So as you were just talking about that, Mark, what is that? I think you might be the first person that I know who's been listening to the audio uh, tape of the book, which I recorded. And well, authenticity, first let's say the word authentic goes back to the Greek, authentes and it means the mark of the hands. So authenticity is when inner and outer match, when inner and outer are one. And now it's interesting, the mark of the hand. So I learned this from a retired doctor, pediatrician, that when a fetus begins to grow in the womb, the first thing that grows out of the heart are the arms. And when they, the very first vestiges of arms, they actually are called arm buds and they're like little wings. So this is why, you know, the hands and the heart are directly connected. This is why when we are moved, we talk with our hands. This is also why the first sign of a heart attack is we feel it in our arms. So this is a great, great way to understand authenticity. Authenticity is when what starts here in my heart makes it to my hands and makes it in the world. And we touch inner and outer. So when we are thorough, when we are wholehearted, when we hold nothing back, and no one can do this all the time, but when we do, we have moments of oneness, of being authentic and real and truthful. And this going back to fear, this means the greatest authentic thing we can do is when we're afraid is to say, I'm afraid. Because that releases something like that butterfly from my hands. And we're never too old to admit we're afraid. You know, just this week, I had in the midst of all this, the first time I had one of those spots on my head that, you know, as you get older, you need to get them frozen or zapped by the dermatologist. So I had this thing and I just went Tuesday and it wasn't anything serious, but it was a little stubborn. So they needed to cut it off. Well, you know, I can't walk, even though I'm 69 and it's 30 years ago, I can't walk into a doctor's office and not have all of that come back. It's like being a war veteran. And so there I was, and I didn't know, I thought they were going to freeze it off. And my dermatologist said, you know, I really recommend that we, we should take it off and I can do that right now. And it actually won't be as bad as even freezing it. And the first thing I said was, okay, I, I trust you, but I'm afraid. And, and I started to kind of well up and I also felt release because I admitted it immediately. Yeah. And then she said, Oh, I understand. And actually I felt Nothing, it was less discomfort than when I normally have the liquid nitrogen freeze it off. And a bubble of my, because I admitted it and because I asked for help, also a bubble of my trauma, even though it was 30 years ago, came up to the surface and was released. I healed another bit, even all these years later. So that is being authentic. That is being authentic. And we underestimate the power of being authentic with ourselves 
and with each other. Yeah, because that to me too is where the power lies to show up in the present moment and to be not only as you said, as you were able to be authentic with yourself and your fear in the moment, but the transformative power of showing up and being authentic with one another. One of the great paradoxes, and and you know, I did a book couple of books ago, More Together Than Alone, which had took me a long time to write, but it was an investigation, an inquiry into moments in history and cross-culturally when we work well together, just stories uh, of all that. And one of the great paradoxes of life is that no one has ever been here who's you. No one has ever lived this life who is you, and no one can make it alone. And each culture I learned, each person has a strength and a shadow. And in the West, the modern West, we have developed a sense of self that is more intricate, deep, introspective than maybe any other culture on earth. And the shadow is we have more self-centeredness and narcissism and stubborn independence and isolation than any culture on earth. And so this is the thing, you know, if we insist that we can make it alone, we have added another level of sickness to our life. Not to have the courage to say, I need you. I need help. Help me be me. Help me get through this. Help. And so here we are forced to physically be alone so that we can humbly discover how much we need each other. Oh. Yes, yes. You know, when you say that, it reminds me too of living in Wyoming. And that when I lived there, this was about eight years ago, but Wyoming was the number one suicide per capita oh. state in America. And I think it's exactly, Mark, because of what you were saying. It's this rugged individualism. It's pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you handle it all by yourself. You know, that's what part of what they were really equating it to. And so I think, you know, during these times too, how essential it that we reach out to one another and how beautiful to show up, as you're saying, in this authentic way where we can start overcoming those fears or at least be more present in dealing with them and through them by sharing what's really going on with us. I think it starts very, at the simplest level. Let's even talk about wearing masks, okay? Because what we're also talking about is physically needing to wear masks, but inwardly needing to drop masks. Yes. So that means, you know, we run into people as a polarization. There's all this politicizing about masks, which is ridiculous. No, we are wearing masks to take care of each other. And so when we run into, you know, this is one of the things that provides tension, I'm sure, for everybody. We've experienced it here. We take basically sheltered in place, but we walk. And I like to say also we are asked to grow in place, not just shelter in place. But we walk with our dog every day. And, and even when we're out once in a while getting groceries or doing something, you know, we run into people and there's all the unknown tension of are we close enough? Are we far enough? Are we wearing a mask? Are we not? And the need to be able to say to each other, just in the same spirit of what I shared about my office visit with the doctor, are you comfortable with this? Can you put on your mask? I'm not comfortable. No, it's a very personal human level. We've not been here before. How do we do this? We're on a trail with our dog in the woods. And now oh, there's another P 
people do we stop where we're 10 15 feet away just happened the other day should you go first should we go first should we put our masks on are you okay are we okay that's the conversation not to isolate and stand ground you know this is something that's very important i learned in that community book and that comes from robert keegan i hope he's safe and well wherever he is he's a developmental psychologist at harvard done remarkable work. But one of the things that he said, which I talked about in my community book, is that centrism, egocentrism, national centrism, any kind of self-centeredness, he defined it as mistaking what is familiar as true. That's very profound. Mistaking what is familiar as true, because what happens if, if I take only what is familiar as true, then anything that is new or unknown, I say is false. This is the seed of prejudice. This is the seed of hate. This is the seed of letting fear govern our lives. You know, this is, uh uh-oh, I don't recognize that. It must be false. Whereas interdependence says, oh, you're different than me. Thank God, teach me what I don't know. We are more together than alone. Let me share what I know. Let's you share what you know. So this is what we're seeing very much in the polarization around the world. And, you know, when I went through my cancer journey, and and again, it doesn't have to be a life-threatening thing. It could be what changes us and opens us could be beauty, wonder, love, being loved unconditionally for the first time. It just happened to be cancer for me. And, but what is opened in us is always more important than what opens us. And so everyone will get a chance to be dropped into the depth of life. I was by this disease. How we meet that opening determines our spiritual journey, our interpersonal journey. And right now we're all being opened. We're all being forced to face ourselves and each other. It's interesting, you know, the word Sabbath, Wayne Muller wrote a book on the Sabbath in the 90s, and the touchstone of that in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath literally means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. We have been forced into a global Sabbath. We've been forced to stop turning one thing into another. This is what leads us all to what is holy, because everything is holy if we stop open our hearts and accept it for what it is. So what are we going to do with this global Sabbath? What are we going to do now that we have been dropped into this depth of life? How will we meet it? And how will we inhabit the world on the other side? No one knows. No one knows where this is going. (sighs) Yes. I'm just at a loss for words, Mark, because those are the words that we need to hear right now, that we can look at this as this opportunity to really grow more deeply and connect with our spiritual lives instead of connect with the trauma and the crisis. Well, we have to, and it's challenging for all of us, me too, just because I, you know, voice these things, I struggle with them every day. We all, because we're human. So how do we feed more than our fear? Because while we're preoccupied that we can't go out, well, when you can't go out, go in. 
The door goes both ways. And yes, that's not to reframe that we can't go out, though it's real. And if I turn around and go in, the inner world is even more vast than the outer world. And the truth is the heart is a conduit between inner and outer. And we live so much in the outer world up till now that we forget that. We forget that. How do we meet outer with inner? How do we let what's out there in and let what's in out? And what happens when we do that, Mark? What happens when we let what's in here out and what's out there in? Well, two things happen among many, but one is when we let what's in out. So the sun is a great teacher in this. The sun emanates light and warmth in all directions without preference. That's what it means to be the sun. It doesn't say, well, I think I'll just shine on the roses today. No. Our heart is an inner sun. And our job, our vow, our covenant is to never muffle the heart, to commit to letting the heart emanate love and warmth in all directions without preference. Now, as a human being in the world, do I have to make choices? Yes. Do I have to decide, is it safe to speak to you? Or will you honor my vulnerability? So, but that's, that's opening and closing the blinds. That's not shutting down the inner sun. And I have confused the two in my life. It's, you know, sometimes I've thought I was closing the blinds and I was muffling my light. So, this is how, this is at the heart of the new book is that, you know, the central metaphor, by letting that light out, we, through a lifetime of experience, let the soul be born on earth. You know, we are here all because of the immense courage of our mothers physically bringing us into the world through labor. But then we begin a second labor. And that's the labor of a lifetime on earth that births the soul on earth by never letting that inner light go out and meeting the world, you know, every crack is an opening. The great Sufi teacher, Hazrat Inayat Khan, said, God breaks the heart again and again and again until it stays open. Now, what happens on the other side is we let our light out in the world. We nourish and heal the life force of the world. In the Jewish tradition, there's a phrase, takan olam, which means we are here to repair the world. Well, what that really means is we are part of the world. We have to repair ourselves first. And we do that by being authentic and inhabiting our lives. So if we look at, look at my body, you know, my body, your body, a body is considered healthy as long as there is one more healthy cell than diseased. We'd like a lot more. As long as we're on that side, we're healthy. Well, humanity is a global body, and every soul is a cell in that body. And when we keep that covenant to let the light that we were born with that connects to all spirit come through us, when we can be authentic and loving and vulnerable as much as we can, when we can right-size our fear and our pain, then we are one more cell in the global body healthy. And we need that now more than ever.
as we're getting close to wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about this wonderful summit that you have coming up. It's June 8th. So I'm offering, you know, one of the things is, you know, I've been blessed to be one of these people. I've traveled everywhere uh, and to be with people in person. And that's my lifeblood. And, you know, part of my grief initially was, oh, my God, how I won't be able to do that. And I'm learning how to it's not exactly the same, but how to do this online and to be with each other any way we can. So I've designed my first webinar and it's a three session, three 90 minute sessions on three Mondays in June, June 8th, 15th, and 22nd, centered on a lot of what we're talking about, to how to bring our gifts to bear to help us endure this storm and be more alive. And it's called The One Life We're Given, Saying Yes to Life. And folks can find details and register at live.marknepo.com. Everything is there. And so I'm excited to, to really do this for the first time and to be with people. I, I did my first online retreat a week ago through the Sophia Institute in Charleston, and I was amazed at how much presence and connection and intimacy there was, even through Zoom. And it just made me, it heartened me. So I'm excited to do this first webinar. And, and if anyone um, is listening, wants to join, I'd be happy to have you on the journey. Mark, just with our conversation right now, it, it's so apparent that it's about that whole thing of time and space being an illusion. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I think that's one of the wonderful things that as people are in your presence, even on the screen, I just feel a resonance with you. Oh, well, thank you. I think it's affirmation. You know, I was thinking about this, that the Zoom, it's amazing, all this technology. It's like the wires that hold electricity, but it's not the electricity. The, this is the electricity, the luminosity, the presence that we carry can even move through these invisible wires. It's amazing. During these times, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the fear of what we're seeing on TV and through the media and all around us. I think part of the message that I really heard from Mark was the importance of going within and using these challenges right now as a fodder to help break us open and to help us live more fully through our hearts. That we don't have to fear these times I loved, you know, as he was saying, we're being asked to grow in place, not shelter in place. Use this time as an opportunity. We don't have to be so afraid of what we were distracting ourselves from before. Without all of these social outlets, without all of these activities, we're able to do the inner work that's really necessary so we can transform and transmute the hurt inside of us. And as we begin to heal, then we are bringing that energy and that vibration to the world and to others. And I think an important thing that he talked about is how right now in the world, mistaking what is familiar as true and anything new or unknown is false. That really being the seed of hate, that when our brain naturally sees something different and goes into that fight or flight place, that we can overcome that by challenging ourselves to say, 
you know what, I want to wait. I want to go within before I react. Mark said that whole concept that you're different than me. Thank God. Teach me what I don't know. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could just learn from each other instead of being afraid? If we could actually take the time to try to see behind one another's eyes. I also really resonated with Mark's talking about the word Sabbath literally means the one day that we don't turn one thing into another. And that this concept of everything is holy. And if we can open our hearts and accept it for what it is, that would be if we could say, okay, I'm not going to turn everything into negativity just because it's unfamiliar. I'm not going to turn this person into the bad guy because I don't know him or I don't understand the lens that he's looking at life through. How beautiful if we can stop and learn how to just breathe with our own fear and to breathe through it and to give ourselves enough time to pause that we can actually listen to one another, drop into our hearts and do what I've always called in my office, open-hearted listening, where we check our egos at the door and we can just show up as our authentic self, which is that we're all these amazing spirits having a human experience. And the human experience is messy and complicated at times. Every person goes through pain. Every person goes through challenges, no matter what they look like on the outside. So if we can come together in that commonality, if we can come together from a place of deep understanding that all of us have experienced suffering, all of us have experienced sorrow and grief, and all of us have experienced love. So let's start there. Let's start with love, developing it within our own hearts and then sharing it with this world that so desperately needs it. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO FM.